I thought about whether I should say anything uh, regarding Palm Sunday this Sunday. And um, as you know, it is Palm Sunday. For those of you who don't know, that's the Sunday we commemorate as Christ coming into Jerusalem for the final week of his earthly ministry, at least prior to his crucifixion. Um, We call it the Passion Week. And of course, by passion, we're using the old definition of the word, which means the suffering of Christ. And so I, I decided not to address that directly, but in a way, we are gonna be addressing that Because as Christ came into Jerusalem, it was a virtual argument of what kind of Messiah they were looking for. Many people were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, thinking that he's going to be this military ruler and he's going to give them a life of comfort and ease. And that's not the kind of ministry that he was meant to have. And as as soon as that became apparent, uh, they turned on him. And the same crowd that was shouting, shouting Hosanna on Sunday was shouting crucify on Friday. And you wonder, how do you get to that point? And I think we're gonna see some of that this morning in our text, how we get there. And so we're gonna be looking at Matthew chapter 11 once again. Matthew chapter 11, if you want to see on the Bible in the pew in front of you, you can find that on page 970, Matthew chapter 11, or 970 in the Bible in the pew in front of you. And while you're turning there, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but there used to be this old kind of nursery rhyme that that went like this. It said, pussycat, pussycat, where have you been? I've been to London to see the queen. Pussycat, pussycat, what did you see there? I saw the mouse hiding under the chair. And there's kind of a moral to that rhyme, kind of a moral to that rhyme, because you see, when the cat went to the palace, the cat, you would think that he would look at the crown jewels, or he would look at the tapestries, or he would look at the drapes, or he would look at the thrones, or he would look at all the ornaments, or the, or the artwork, or, or all of these things that, that if we were to go to Buckingham Palace, that's, that's what we would want to look at. And yet the mouse, when he went to the palace, all he saw was I said the mouse. When the cat went to the palace, all he saw was the mouse hiding under the chair. And and why is that? Why is that 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 was the only thing that he saw? A thousand things he could have looked at, but what did he see? He saw the only thing he was really looking for, and that was the mouse. The cat didn't care about all that other stuff. All the cat cared about was the mouse. And today in scripture before us, Jesus is gonna challenge his listeners by asking us what it is that we're actually looking for. What is it that we are actually looking for when we come to Christ or when we come to church or when we open the Bible or or any of these things? What is it that we are actually looking to find? And that's what we're asking this morning. And so beginning in, in verse seven, I would invite you to stand as we read these verses. Uh, It's kinda long, so I'll read them alone as you just follow along. 
and you're a copy of the word. <clears throat> it says here that as when John's disciples went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. This is he who, of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Our Father, we ask you for ears to hear this morning as we break down this passage and see what it has for us. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Isn't that true of all of us? Isn't that true of every single one of us that there's a tendency that we all have to, to find what we're looking for, to find whatever it is we're looking for? I'm, I'm sure that many of you have had the experience of, of buying a new car and you bought the new car because you thought, you know, I've never seen this particular model before and this is unique. This is gonna be kind of my personal statement. And so you buy the car, you take it out on the road and what do you immediately start seeing everywhere? You see your car, right? Why is that? Because now you're looking for it. Because now you're looking for it. In the same way, I, I don't hear it as much anymore, but I used to hear all the time, I would invite people to church and they'd say, oh, that church, not this church, but just churches in general. Oh, that church is just full of hypocrites. Well, why is it that when you go to church, all you see is hypocrites? Because that's all you're looking for. That's all you're looking for. Have you ever noticed that the ones who complain most about constantly being followed by drama tend to be the ones who find themselves in the middle of it all the time? You ever notice that? It's the drama queens that seem to incite all the drama around them. And by the way, just so you know, I'm not picking on the ladies. Guys, you can be drama queens too, okay? <laughs> I've, I've met quite a few of them, so <laughs> you can as well. Why is it? Because that's all you're looking for. All you're looking for all the time. You know why. And so this morning, I wanna ask the question, what are we looking for when we come to Christ? What are we looking for when we come to church? What are we looking for when we come to the scriptures? If you recall last week, John sent his disciples to Christ and asked the simple question, Jesus, are you the one that we are waiting for. And you remember that John uh, is in prison for preaching. And so he has to send his disciples to do this. And Jesus answers that question very affirmatively. He says, yes, I am the one. But he doesn't flat out say that. What he does is he demonstrates it by his actions and showing that he is fulfilling the Old Testament promises of when the Messiah will come. But as 
John's disciples are leaving, Jesus begins talking about the ministry of John. And he begins explaining how John fits into that redemptive history, how he fits into our story of salvation. And this is really important. John, Jesus, in doing so, he's going to begin by asking the same question three times. What did you go out to see? What are you here to look for? I don't think there could be a more important question. What is it that you're here to find? In, first Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, and by the way, I didn't get any of the verses on the board this morning, so uh, you might want to write them down. But it says in 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, that for the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Is that not what we're saying in so many churches today? Is that not what we're seeing in all of the corners of society? It may not be teachers that they're accumulating themselves. Maybe it's a blogger. Maybe it's a podcaster. Maybe it's a favorite news channel. But whatever it is, whatever it is, our tendency is to want to gather up teachers who will essentially confirm our opinions who will essentially tell us what we want to hear and justify what we think is true. The question is, what should we be looking for? What should we be looking for? What, what is it that we think is going to redeem us and give us life? What are you looking for this morning? What are you looking for? Because of this, beloved, it's more important than ever that we as the church truly point people to Christ and Christ alone. Christ and Christ alone, that we truly point people to him. And how do we do that? As, John, as Jesus is, is talking about the ministry of John, we're gonna see three examples here that John lives out in his life that we can follow that will help us to accomplish just this, to point people to Christ alone. John was faithful, John was focused, and John was hopeful. We're gonna see those three this morning. And so beginning in verse seven, we're gonna see that from John's example, we must be faithful. We must be faithful. There's a lot of people in the crowd a lot of people that Jesus is addressing, many of whom who know John, in fact, some of Jesus's own disciples had previously followed John. And more than likely, there are people in this crowd who, if they, if they didn't follow John personally, they probably knew who John was. Maybe it's the very people that John had pointed to Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And they turned from John and started following Jesus. But now the very one who pointed them to Jesus is now for whatever reason, and, and we don't know why, we don't know if he was doubting. We don't know if he was discouraged. We went all over all of that a couple weeks ago. We don't know why he did, but we know that for whatever reason, John sent his disciples to come and ask Jesus, are you truly the one? And you can imagine how maybe some of the crowd is, is, is looking at this and asking, wait a minute, John is the one who was so convinced and pointed me to Christ, and now he's asking. 
So you can imagine how this might have affected the crowd, right? And so Jesus turns around and he begins to talk about John and what role he plays in the grand story of redemption. And he asked them three times, what did you go out to see? And he gives them three different options. The first one, a reed shaken by the wind. You all know what a reed is, right? It's, a, it's like this, uh, it's kind of like a bamboo cane that, that kind of grows around a lake, only it's not bamboo, it's, it's really just a, a blade of grass. And every time the wind blows, that grass just kind of follows along with it. It's not very sturdy, it's, uh, it's, very, uh, it's very wavy. It goes wherever the wind is blowing. It would bend and move in whatever way. In other words, did they go out to see a man who was weak, who was easily persuaded by popular opinion? Is that what they went out to see? Or instead, did they go out to see someone who's dressed in soft clothing? What does he mean by soft clothing? I think most of us are wearing clothes today that feel pretty soft, right? We're not wearing burlap sacks or uh, stuff like that. What do we mean by this? It's, it's very luxurious, very, uh, very uh, proper and prim, luxurious, fancy, expensive clothing. Is that what they went out to see? Well, you're not gonna find that in the desert. You're not gonna find that. In fact, you're not gonna find comfort and convenience. Those people who wear those kinds of clothing, they live in palaces. They live to be served. They, they live to, to have all the ease and comfort. And is that what you went out to see? Is that what you went out to find when you went out to listen to John the Baptist? John was neither of these. And instead, John, who was John? What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. That's what you went to see. You went, that's what you got whenever you got John's preaching. You got a prophet. And I think there needs to be a little clarification here because today when we use the word prophet or we use the word prophecy, it kind of tends to have a, a slightly different nuance. What do you think of when you think of prophecy? You think of strictly telling the future, right? And, and the prophets did do that but I want you to understand kind of what they did and what it was they were doing. It wasn't, that, it wasn't that they were just predicting the future in order to impress people or predict the future. You see, when God gave the law, he told Israel, obey this law because if you don't, judgment is coming. And Israel did not obey the law. Therefore, the prophets were raised up by God and they were essentially telling the people, repent, you have disobeyed, therefore repent or judgment is coming. You see, even their predictions were based on scripture. And then God said all the way back in the law that when you disobey and when you have been carried away, I will have pity on you and I will redeem you and I will give you a new heart and I will give you everything you need to obey the law because apart from, your, apart from my changing your heart, you cannot do that. And guess what the prophets prophesied? That that's exactly what God is going to do. So even in their prophesying, even in their telling the future, they're doing so based upon the words that God gave them in the scripture. 
And so more than foretellers, you can say that prophets were forth tellers. In other words, their main goal was to prepare, was to proclaim the word, and that is what Jesus is praising John for. He was faithful. He was faithful. And so it really kind of begs the question for us as a church, doesn't it? What is it that we're trying to attract people with? What is it that we're trying to bring people in with? What are you here to find? By the way, it's, it's not a new problem. It's not a new problem. This goes all the way back to the garden. This goes all the way back through the Old Testament and even Christ himself had to confront this. You remember when Christ fed 5,000 people and they were so ready to make him and force him to be king that he got away from them all night. And when they finally found him the next day, they said, where were you? We've been looking for you. And he says in John 6, 26, Jesus says, truly I say to you, you're seeking me, but not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were full. They didn't want a Messiah. They wanted a full belly and that's it. They didn't come to hear Christ. In fact, after a particularly difficult sermon that follows this, most of them will walk away. Most of them will leave. You need to understand that when we are being faithful to scriptures, understand people will walk away. They will do it. They will not endure sound teaching. They certainly will not endure the practice of it. And so... He turns to his disciples and asks them, are you leaving too? And Simon Peter, I think, says so beautifully, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else would you go this morning than to hear the words of Christ? To hear the word of God. I love how I've heard this place before. Have we come to Jesus to gain Jesus? Or have we come to Jesus hoping that he will give us what our hearts are truly after? Have we come to Jesus in order to have Jesus? Or have we come to Jesus hoping that he will give us what our hearts truly want? <clears throat> Beloved, as a church, we must be faithful to the word and we offer Christ alone. We offer Christ alone, who is the only name under heaven by which we must be saved. So what does it mean to be faithful? Well, it means, as John goes on to demonstrate in, in verses nine and 11, it says that we must be focused. We must be focused Jesus says, what else did you go out to see? Did you go out to see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Wow, to have Jesus say that about you. Ain't that cool? It's not good grammar, but it's good theology. Ain't that cool? <laughs> right? That's pretty cool. Jesus continues the second part of verse nine. He says, yes, he is a prophet, but I tell you, he is more than a prophet. He holds a place that is above all of the prophets of the Old Testament. What does he mean by that? 
Because he says in verse 10, this is the one of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before you who will prepare the way before you. This is a quote from Malachi chapter three, verse one. Malachi wrote this prophecy about 400 years prior to Christ. He was the last writing prophet. And Jesus says that he wrote this prophecy speaking of John, that this is the messenger who was to come. That's why he goes on to say in verse 11, and again, I just can't even imagine this, but truly I say to you, among those born of women, there's no one arisen greater than John the Baptist. Wow, what a statement. What a statement. But what was it that made him so great? You ever thought about that? What was it that gave John the Baptist such a prestigious place? He didn't do any miracles like Elijah. He didn't single-handedly take on nations like Samuel or Nahum or Jonah, Obadiah, Moses, or others. He didn't face down a great king and, and call him to repent like Nathan did to Daniel. He never wrote a masterpiece of prophetic literature like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, or any of the other prophets. He never wrote anything. In fact, he, never, he didn't unlock the mystery of God's universal will and sovereignty over the nations like, like Daniel did. He didn't, he didn't do that. What is it exactly that John the Baptist did that made him in such a privileged spot? You see, all of these things, all of the things that we just went through, confronting kings, writing masterpieces, uh, uh, confronting entire nations, taking on miracles, all of these things these prophets did to announce that one day salvation, ultimate salvation is coming. And unlike all of the other prophets who looked out into a, a blurry, distant future, not really understanding what God was saying, but only to say that salvation one day is coming, John the Baptist, unlike any of those, John the Baptist looked out and he saw the face of God incarnate. He saw the Son of God in flesh, Jesus Christ, and he said, salvation is here. He saw it and he proclaimed it. It was present. It was here. And John is the greatest of all the prophets for he had the greatest message of all of them. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John didn't perform any miracles. He pointed to the greatest miracle of all, the coming of the flesh of the Son of God who lived, who died, who was raised by the Father in order to pay for our sins and give us salvation. That, beloved, is the greatest miracle of all, to bring a dead sinner back to life to bring someone who hates God by nature to someone who loves God by their new nature. That is the miracle that John the Baptist pointed to. That's what so many of these would-be 
prophets and false teachers on TV are missing? Why in the world would you want temporary deliverance from pain, temporary deliverance from, from all of these things when you can have the ultimate deliverance from your sin? I can live with pain for 70 years if that's as close to hell as I'm ever gonna get. I can do that. In fact, anything next to hell is a privilege. And that's what we find. That's the deliverance we have, the greatest deliverance of all. And beloved, if you're here this morning and you don't, you don't know Christ, I just, I just wanna talk to you for a moment. What are you here looking for? If, you, if you've come here and you have not responded to Christ yet, let me ask you a question. What is it that you are looking for in life that's gonna do better than that? What good is temporary relief from pain or problems if it will lead you to an eternity of suffering and wrath? What good is it? What more must God do to convince you he, he tortured his son. He gave his son on the cross for you and you're not convinced that his love is the greatest love of all? What more must he do? That God, the creator and ruler of all the earth who created us to manage, you might say, his creation, to rule with him. It was supposed to be a place of harmony and of peace and of, of wonderful blessing of us walking with God. But we chose to walk away. We chose to reject him. And we have said that I want to take the crown off of God's head, put it on my own head. I want to be the king of my life. I want to do things my way. And we make a mess of things. We make a mess of culture. We make a mess. Look, look at what all is going on in our society today and say, are we doing a good job ruling things without God? No. Look at your own life. And look at how it has the consequences that you're suffering, the things that you have done. And ask yourself, Am I, have I really ruled my own life? No made a mess of things, make a mess of our families. And what's even worse is that God will not allow that rebellion to continue forever. But he has appointed a day that he will judge for sin. And the punishment for sin and treason is death and judgment. And that sounds harsh, and believe you me, it is. But it's just, it's fair. It's right. And yet because God loves us, he sent us another way. God, the son, Jesus Christ came and lived on the earth, lived perfectly under God's rule, never committed one single sin. And then because he loves us, he went to the cross and he died for our sins he took our place. And because that was enough, God raised him, the Father raised him on the third day so that he is now the risen and ruling king 
He died to forgive us of our sins and he rose to give us new life. And now he is ascended to the right hand of the Father, offering himself as a savior to you. Why would you turn away from that? What more must God do to convince you that his love is the best you will find? That his love is true. This is why Jesus says, yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Why why would he say that? Because John, as a prophet, as an Old Testament prophet, he had the promise, he declared the promise, but now in Christ, we have the promise. And the one who is least in Christ's kingdom is greater than the greatest Old Testament prophet. That's why Jesus says that. The Old Testament has passed away. The old has passed away. The new has come. And beloved, when you come to Christ, how do we respond? By faith alone. And what does faith mean? It means two things. It means to turn from your sin. We call that repent. Submitting to Christ as your new king and trusting him completely and fully for the full forgiveness of your sins. That's what it means to respond in faith, to turn from sin and to turn to Christ. And when you do that, you'll have the promise. You'll have the promise that John the Baptist was pointing to. You'll have the promise that Christ has given eternal life. And that's what brings us to verses 12 and 15. That's why we're not only focused, but we're hopeful. We're hopeful. He says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and, and the violent take it by force. What, what does he mean by that? He means that you, one thing you can be sure of is that the world will always oppose this message. The world will always be offended by it. And even at this time, it's already beginning to take shape. Jesus says that from the days of John the Baptist, it wasn't that long ago when Jesus said that. John the Baptist was already in prison. He was already sitting in a dungeon. He was already facing opposition. And already from John's preaching, the kingdom that is being announced is suffering violence. This has been true ever since the beginning of the church and will continue to be true. Those who are violent will always try to take it by force. And ever since the founding of Israel, the Old Testament, and even before, the the prophets and the law has prophesied up until John. The violent will try to take it by force. They always have, but they have always failed. Why? Because God's salvation is coming. And so the prophets and the law prophesied up until John, and now we have it here You know, it's just kind of like, let me kind of explain to you how the Old Testament prophecy works. It's kind of like mailing a letter. Some of you have heard me say this before, but it's kind of like mailing a letter, right? Yeah. Yeah, you put, when you, when you mail the letter, I know we have email and texting and all that today. I don't know when's the last time you mailed a personal letter, but in case you have, you might remember this. When, if you, if you just write, if you want to mail a letter to me, you have to write, okay, um, Randy lives in Arkansas. So you just write Arkansas on the front of the letter, right? Is that going to get to me? 
No, <laughs> no, why? Because there's like, what, three million people that live in Arkansas and probably a lot of them named Randy. So, so that's not gonna get to me, right? And so what are you gonna do? Well, you have to say, okay, I want Randy in a certain zip code. So 72501. Well, that's gonna narrow it down. That's still not gonna get to me, is it? Why not? Because 72501 encompasses a large part of this county. So we've got to narrow it down even further. What do we say? Okay, I want this to go to Batesville, Arkansas, 72501. Okay, that narrows it down a little more. It's gonna get at least to the right place, but it's not gonna to get to me still, is it? No, you gotta get it to the right street. So you write Lion Street. Okay, that's getting you a little closer. And if the mailman knows me, he might be able to get it there, but... Really, in all honesty, the mailman doesn't know me, so good luck with that. So we gotta have the right number on the street, 1775 Lion Street. Okay, that gets me to the right, gets me to the right house. But here's the problem. More than one person lives in my house. So if it just comes to my address, how do I know who it goes to? So what do I gotta do? I gotta write down Randy Scott, 1775 Lion Street, which is the address of the church, by the way, but 1775 Lion Street, Batesville, Arkansas, that will get to me. And see, and that's kind of how prophecy works. At the very beginning, you have this prophecy in Genesis chapter three, all the way back, as soon as, as, as we fell, as soon as we sinned, God said that the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpents. Okay, we have these wonderful two seeds, the seeds of the woman, the seed of the serpent, and we understand that someone who is of the seed of woman is going to crush the seed of the serpent. But we don't don't know who that is. And so it gets a little more narrow. Uh, Noah's one of the descendants of Noah. Okay. That's still a lot. In fact, today that's pretty much everyone on earth. So we got to get a little lower. Then we go to Abraham. Okay. That's the nation of Israel, but that's still a lot of people today. So we got to, we got to narrow it even lower. We go to Judah. Okay. Of the tribe of Judah. Then it goes to David's descendants. And then we start seeing all of these other promises. These are the things he's going to do. These are the things he's going to say. And all of these things boil up until finally we get to that last prophet, John the Baptist, who says, here he is, Jesus Christ. That's how prophecy in the Old Testament works. And the law and the prophets have prophesied up until John. And now behold, Malachi chapter four, verse five, the very end of the Old Testament, in fact, the next to last verse in the Old Testament, the last prophet who wrote said, behold, I send Elijah my prophet before the great and awesome day of Yahweh comes. And Jesus looks at John and says, if you can hear this, he was Elijah and I am the one who is coming, the day of Yahweh is here. And so that's, that's how it works. Jesus tells us, John is Elijah, who is to come. John looked at Jesus and said, here he is. 
Here is the promise. Here is salvation. Here is God who has come to save us. Beloved, the fleeting and changing, always changing wisdom of this world cannot save you. A life of ease, a life of comfort, a life of tranquility cannot save you. What are you seeking? Are you seeking something else or are you seeking Christ? Beloved, my friends, listen. And again, if you are my unbelieving friends who are here this morning, if you are here, I want you to understand we have nothing to offer you. Gold and silver have we none, but such as we have, we offer to you. We can't give you riches. We can't give you, we don't have a large bank account. We don't have a ton of flash. We don't have a ton of volume and we're not too concerned about it because the one thing we can offer you is the one thing you need, Jesus Christ, our savior. That's what we can offer you. Eternal life through Christ our Lord. And that is what gives you hope. That's where hope comes from. That is what will save you from your sin. That is what will erase your past and give you new life. Christ alone, received by faith alone, by grace alone. That's what we have to offer you this morning. And I promise you, it is enough. It's more than enough. So beloved, if we're gonna be faithful to show, if we're going to truly point people to Christ, these are the examples we need to follow. We must be faithful, we must be focused, and we must be hopeful. We, we need a lot of hope today, don't we? I, 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 you know, I counsel people and people come in and especially in those first few sessions, they've, they've just lost all hope. They've lost all hope. And more than once I have told someone, I know it seems like you have no hope right now. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give you permission to borrow some of mine because I have hope for you because I have hope in Christ. And what he has begun in you, he will bring to completion. That is a promise that you can place your hope in. My hope is not in you. My hope is for you. And if you need to borrow some hope this morning, borrow some of mine and live off that for a little while until you come to an understanding of Christ and you can grow in your own hope. I tell people that all the time. We live in a world that just seems so hopeless, but it's not because Christ has overcome the world. He is the victor. He is the one that we are looking for. If you're looking for anything else, you're gonna be sorely disappointed. So let me leave you with a couple of thoughts this morning. First, if you're looking for a church home, what are you looking for? What, what criteria are you evaluating the church on? At the end of the day, Christ will not say, was your church's music good enough? He will not say, was the programs organized enough? He, did, he, would not, he will not say, did you have 4,000 people in attendance? 
The question of all eternity will be, does Christ know you? And if you're going to any church that tries to do anything other than make sure you get that question right, then you need to get to a different church as soon as you can. By the way, I know a great one, but anyway. Let me talk to our kids and students for a moment. What kinds of teachers are you amassing for yourself? What are you, and I'm not talking about your teachers at school. I'm I'm talking about the TikToks you watch. I'm talking about the uh, Snapchats you see and post, the Twitter feeds you follow. You're attracted to those things for a reason. What does your accumulation of TikToks and Twitter feeds, and what does that say about what you're looking for? What does that say about what you're putting your hope in, what you hope will give you a better life? You're looking at the wrong things. Christ will offer you life and life more abundantly. And you have two kinds of you have two kinds of things that you will watch and see. It will be those things that will either draw you closer to Christ or will pull you away from Christ. Please avoid those at all costs. We only get, we only get like two hours a week with you. Please avoid those and parents help them to make those right decisions. Let me ask our church members, what do you complain about Calvary the most? Is there a pattern that comes from it? Now, don't hear what I'm saying. There's always room for improvement. We can always improve our ministries. We can always improve all of that. We want to be as excellent as we can in our obedience to Christ. I'm not talking about that. But on the other hand, what does the pattern of your complaints and concerns tell you about what you're really looking for when you come? What is that saying? What are you looking for when you, what, what were you looking for when you came to church this morning? What does that say? And by the way, I'm not, I'm not excused for this. What about me? And I, I need all of you to hold me accountable here. What about me? Am I holding out Christ to you? Am I doing a good job of that? Or am I falling into the cultural pressure to try to build a bigger crowd? Beloved, anyone can build a crowd. Only Christ can build a church. And if I'm holding anything out to you other than Christ, I need to be held accountable. That's why I've, I've told every one of our deacons at some point or another, I've told them I do not want a group of yes men. I want men who are godly, who will hold me accountable. And that's what you want too. And by the way, they're gonna hold you accountable too, just so you know. <laughs> but, but that's what we want because I need to be held accountable to this. Am I holding out anything to you other than Christ to offer you eternal life? I need to be held accountable, and I ask you to do that. So I'll leave us with this question once again. What have we come here to gain? Why have you come to Christ? Is it to gain Christ? Or is it it hoping? Have you come to Christ hoping that he will give you what your heart is truly after. Why are we here this morning? If you're here for any other reason than to seek Christ, I pray you will come and you will get that right.
There's places here up front you can pray. You can seek God. I'll be down here if you want me to pray for you. There's Sunday school teachers and godly men. In fact, our deacons, would you raise your hand? There are godly men. I'm, you can go to any one of these men with their hand raised. Miss Bobby, your hand is raised too. Miss Vanita, uh, you can go to any one of these godly women. Just say, pray for me. I'm seeking something other than Christ. And I wanna get that right. Whatever your need is, I invite you to do whatever you need to do this morning. Father, we thank you for this time. I thank you for these truths and I pray that we are being faithful to them. I pray that you are moving among your people this morning. Lord, may we be, may we be faithful. May we be focused and hopeful because we have the hope of the world. Jesus Christ and him crucified, risen and coming again with life and freedom to all who will place their trust and faith in him. So I pray this morning that you will move in our midst. I wanna invite you to stand. And again, if there's some move you need to make, I invite you to make that. Just, just bow our heads and close our eyes and just reflect on what you have heard. What, what is it that you have come to look for this morning? Is it to gain Christ and him crucified? Or is it hoping he will give you what your heart is truly after? Have you come to Christ so that he will make much of you? Or have you come to Christ so that he will enable you to make much of him? There's something in your heart that needs to get right this morning. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your savior, I invite you to come. We'll show you, we'll tell you how you can know Christ and you can have eternal life.